0: That There are so many of us that we live like these weighed-down warriors, but God has called us and equipped us and given us everything we need to be victorious warriors that march ahead in faith and victory. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. Uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit today about worry. Is that okay? If not, I'm going to anyway, so (laughs) buckle up. Worry is something that I think we're all prone to on some level. And the danger of worry is that it can be crippling. It can just really blind us and take away our, our strength to move forward in what God has called us to. And, you know, the irony of worry is that worry often causes the things that are outside of our control to control us. And, you know, I I think one of the things that contributes so often to our worry is that we don't have the answers. We love answers. We love to know timing and and the date and the reasons behind everything that's happening in our lives. We want explanations, we want answers. You know, and our, our Bibles tell us that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if you're anything like me, you may have that verse underlined in your Bible, but secretly you think, I sure wish God's thoughts were a little bit more like mine, right? And, and so there's like this mystery to following Christ that sometimes frustrates, uh, frustrates us if, if we're being honest, and, and it can cause this tension in our lives because we don't always know what God's doing. And I, I think that tension is compounded in the information age that we live in. I don't know about you, but I find myself commonly in uh, conversations that end with my smartphone by saying something like, just Google it. Or ask Siri, right? I don't know about you, but I ask Siri stuff all the time. And five years ago, this didn't happen. Five years ago, we would actually sometimes end conversations in mystery without knowing the answer. Can you believe that? But we don't have to do that anymore because the answers are at our fingertips for everything. So that's fun when it comes to directions and song lyrics and recipes and all of that stuff. But the Bible says walk, we walk by faith, not by Siri. Or I think it's something like that. I, I, sometimes I get that one mixed up, but we today I want to talk to you about going to war against worry because I believe that there are so many of us that w- we live like these weighed down warriors but God has called us and equipped us and given us everything we need to be victorious warriors that march ahead in faith and victory. We weren't designed to be warriors. We were created to be warriors. And I believe that all of us on some level, wherever you are, wherever you're hearing my voice right now, every one of us is pursuing peace in some way. Did you know that? Every one of us, we're after it. We want peace in our lives. And there are so many outlets that the world says, if you only had this, then you would finally have that peace or that happiness that you're looking for in life. And I'm here today to talk to you about the God who is the source of our peace. The Bible says that Jesus is, the Prince of Peace. And if you want peace, I'm gonna tell you today about how to get it in your life. In fact, today you will have an opportunity to embrace the peace that surpasses all understanding. We're gonna read about this in Philippians chapter four. Now, the great thing about Philippians is we're gonna read from uh, a book, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, which if you know his story, you might agree with me in saying that if there's a guy in the Bible that we would say we would make an exception to the worry rule, like we'll let that guy worry about some stuff, it would probably be Paul. If You read his story in the book of Acts, you know this guy had a pretty gnarly time following the Lord, to say the least. I mean, just read some of the things that he went through. This guy had enemies at one point that vowed not to sleep or eat until he was dead. The guy was shipwrecked and beaten. One time he preached and they didn't like his message apparently. And so they dragged him out of the city and they beat him up till they thought he was dead. And they left him on the ground till he was till, for, for, for dead. And then he got back up eventually, came to, got back up, brushed himself off, and went back into the same city and started preaching. This is the guy that we're learning from, all right? So how crazy is it that a guy who we would say he probably has the right to worry about some things. He chose not to. Instead, what he did, he pens a letter, and this is not from the the freedom of his own home. Philippians was written from the floor of a Roman prison cell while chained to a Roman guard, and he pens a tutorial on how to go to war against worry in our lives. I don't know about you, but I wanna learn from a guy like that. Anybody with me? So, we're gonna read from Philippians chapter four. Let's read verses six through eight and then we're gonna unpack these together. Philippians four, verse six. It says, be anxious for nothing. How many things should we be anxious for? None of them, nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's important, we'll come back to it, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, verse eight, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna work our way backwards through this text. So if you're OCD, hang with me. This is gonna make sense, all right? We're going to work our way backwards, starting in verse eight, and we're going to start here with number one. I I want to establish the standard, God's standard of perfect, his best. We want to establish what's the bullseye for how our heart and our mind should look, and we find that in verse eight. We're going to work backwards. This will make sense as we go, but what we find in verse eight is God's bullseye for our hearts and our minds. We want our minds and the thoughts that are in them to be defined by the eight words that we found in verse eight. Did you see them in verse eight? This is what our minds should be defined by. True, noble, just, pure, holy, or lovely of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And so we are commanded in verse eight to meditate on these things, meditate in this passage is not like mindless yoga we're talking about our our, having our minds actively engaged on these things it's a command for us now we don't have a long time to spend on these eight characteristics so let me boil it down to one thought here's the idea when it comes to our minds and our hearts make sure your mind is open by invitation only there are a few things that you should be focused on and there are many that you should not be let me simplify it even a little bit further so you can understand. You're throwing a party. Let's, let's pretend you're throwing a party and the venue is your mind and your heart. There's only eight people on your guest list, according to verse eight. Here's the eight people that you and I should allow to our party. Mr. True, Mrs. Noble, their three friends, just, pure, and lovely, and the three amigos, good report, Ms. Virtue, Captain Praiseworthy. They're the only ones that are allowed at your party. And anybody else who shows up at your party, they weren't invited. You got to bounce them out of there, okay? And here's the reason. God has your best in mind, and so he wants your mind at its best. And this is where we start, the standard. This is God's bullseye for our brains. This is where our our thoughts and our minds and our our focus should be, and, and this is how they should be defined. Now, let's look at the scene of the battle. Number two is the scene. Where is the battle taking place? The trenches, the front lines. According to verse seven, it's happening in our hearts and minds. This is the scene of the battle. Now, why are our hearts and our minds so important? Well, the Bible tells us earlier on in Proverbs chapter 4, the New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's obviously a big deal. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Here's the thought. An unguarded heart is a ticking time bomb. It's a a landmine waiting to be stepped on. It's a grenade with the pin pulled. If we choose to allow our hearts and our minds to go unguarded and live as though they do not determine the course of our life, something dangerous will eventually transpire in our lives. And so the question is not, will it explode? But when and who will be hurt by it? Now, here's the catch. The challenge with this, the scene of the battle being our hearts and our minds, is that we can't see those things. And so the, the Bible tells us that the man, that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. But because we can't see the heart and the mind, our focus naturally gravitates toward the things that we can see, all of the external things. And so it's so easy for us to be focused on the things that we can see. Meanwhile, while the battle is waging in our hearts and our minds, We're trying to just line up all the things on the outside. That's like taking some ibuprofen when you have pneumonia. You're dealing with the symptoms, not the real problem. The scene of the battle is our hearts and our minds. It's internal. But Christians, we tend to get worked up about all the things that we can see. This is just natural human thing to do. I meet Christians like this all the time. I'm guilty of this at times in my life. In fact, I'll give you uh, an example and admittedly, this is a bit of a controversial example, so if you have angry emails for me after this, that's okay, email me at nateheitzig at calvaryabq.org. Did you take that down? I'd love to hear from you, okay? So, I meet Christians who are so worried about our, our, our country because of this recent Supreme Court ruling legalizing gay marriage across our nation. And I meet Christians that the way they're talking about it and living their life is telling me that they think that God is also worried about our problems. As though we serve a God in heaven who goes, wait, 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 the Supreme Court of the United States said what? Oh, what am I gonna do? As though, He fell off his golden throne and is no longer the king of the universe. Guys, we serve the God who spoke the stars into existence. We serve the God who said, let there be light when no such thing existed, okay? And I believe that we can have such great confidence in his ability to control the things that are far outside of our control. Because thankfully, the things that freak us out don't bother. God. The things that surprise us don't surprise our God. Can I tell you a phrase that God has never used? He's never said, uh-oh. <laughs> He's never said it. He's never been surprised. I'm so thankful for our God who focuses on where the battle is being waged. Now, so, so here's, the, here's what I'm trying to help you understand. When we focus on the external, we miss the battle on the internal. So I'm not trying to downplay how big of a deal it is that our, our, our nation has tried to redefine marriage, which by the way, no nation has the right to redefine something that God defined in the first place. But, uh, so I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay, that's a big deal, but can we talk for a moment about a much bigger deal? People are dying and going to hell while we're focused on the outside stuff. Don't get me wrong, there will be homosexual people in hell, but there will be many more heterosexual people in hell who thought they were okay because of all of their outside things were lined up because the world looked at them and said, they're a pretty good person because they thought that the the, the good in their life would outweigh the bad and that would be enough on judgment day. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't let you into heaven because you read through the Bible a certain amount of times. God doesn't let you into heaven because you showed up to church and sat in a chair. God doesn't let you into heaven because you're a heterosexual. God lets you into heaven because you had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He's it. There's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And so that is where the battle is being waged. We have to focus our attention there. The scene of the battle is our hearts and our minds. We cannot afford to allow them to go unguarded. Now, if there's a battle, then obviously there must be a soldier. Let's talk about that. Number three is the soldier. Again, as we're working backwards in this text, We find out in verse seven that God only has to deploy one soldier in this battle. Who's the soldier? Verse seven tells us it's the peace of God. If we go back to our party scene illustration earlier on, this means that if you've allowed some people into the party going on in your mind and your heart that aren't supposed to be there, verse seven, the peace of God is your bouncer. He came to get everybody out that was not supposed to be there. So here's the thought for us. God's peace defeats what we could not defeat in a lifetime. Did you know that? You will exhaust yourself trying to find peace apart from the Prince of Peace. So many of you have lived your lives up until this point, and I'm praying this changes today, but you've lived your life up until this point, seeking peace wherever the world says, if you had this, then you would finally be happy. I'm here to tell you, it is not accessible apart from Jesus Christ. It is the peace of God that guards our hearts and our minds. And so God's peace can defeat what we can't defeat in a lifetime. You know, we we get so amazed at these stories of heroin addicts and prostitutes who put their faith in Christ. And I love stories like that. We just hired a guy at our church who just a few years ago was addicted to heroin and in two years of his life, attended nine funerals for his friends who either overdosed, committed suicide, or were murdered. This guy sat in my office and told me his story And now he's on our church staff faithfully walking with Jesus. And we hear stories like this and we're amazed. I love stories like this. But on the other hand, you know what I say? Of course they finally realized they needed Jesus. Because life is exhausting and completely void of all peace until you let God in. It's the peace of God. Only from him. He is the sole manufacturer and distributor of all true peace. And it is only when you find a relationship with Christ, full surrender, that you can finally have this peace. And so it's no wonder that Paul describes it as peace that surpasses all understanding. You can't really fit it in your brain how you can be at peace in the darkest, deepest valley that you're in. Surpasses all understanding. And if you've experienced it, you know that you can't explain it. Jesus is with you and we rest in that. I I watch people who suffer through so many different seasons and challenges that they face in their life And I especially watch people who are not followers of Christ try to just numb the pain of life. And I wonder, how do you make it through a divorce? How do you survive the loss of a loved one? How do you have hope when you hear that diagnosis from the doctor? How do you have hope in the middle of all that if you don't have Jesus? It's no wonder our culture turns to drugs and sex and so many other things to numb the pain. What we really need is the peace of God. God's peace will defeat what we couldn't defeat in a lifetime. So we've got the standard, right? Verse eight, eight characteristics. This is God's bullseye for us. The scene of the battle, we understand, is our hearts and our minds. It's internal, And we know that the soldier that wages war that can defeat what we could never defeat is the peace of God. But how do we get this soldier into our lives? Come on, I need some peace, you might be thinking. Well, let me tell you how this works. Number four, let's hit the strategy. Here's how this happens in our lives. If God's peace is the soldier, then verse six is the call that deploys the soldier. Look at verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, there it is, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I love how the New Living Translation simplifies this verse. It says, don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. Isn't that good? So simple, this, that's the thought for us. So here, here it is, a peace-filled life is only accessible to a prayerful heart. You want peace, you have to pray to the source. Of peace because it just told us in verse 6 in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving now we could do multiple sermons on what it looks like to pray for these things and talk through prayer we don't have time for that today but I want to highlight an ingredient that Paul makes sure to include in this talk about prayer that is so easy for us to leave out of our prayers we're so concerned about all of the things that we don't have that we forget to be thankful for the things that we do have. And so Paul says, by everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Guys, please don't forget to be thankful and worshipful in your prayers. We have so much to thank God for, amen? I mean, a a prayer without thanksgiving is like a Biscuit without the sugar. This is not Okay. (laughs) prayer without thanksgiving is like a breakfast burrito without green chili come on this should be illegal new mexicans am i speaking your language are you picking up what i'm laying down come on a, a prayer without thanksgiving doesn't make sense and i wonder if our worry in our lives stems from a lack of worship I wonder if there's so much that seems to be taking over our lives because we're so easily taken over the things that we don't have instead of focusing on all the amazing things that we do have. Now, I'm not talking about Peter Pan think happy thoughts theology here. I'm not talking about living in denial and pretending that everything is awesome in your life. Lego movie, everything is awesome. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, Let's take some time and let's think through some of the great things that God has done. Because what I've found is that an attitude of gratitude has such a healing effect on the heart. And I've learned from experience that so many times when my life is filled with worry, it's because it's also empty of worship. And so I wonder what would happen if we put some worship back into our prayers. And maybe you're wondering why is this such a big deal that we're focused on worry? Well, here's the message that worry communicates. Worry tells God and it tells everybody who's watching your life, which by the way, if you're a Christian, the world is watching. Worry communicates that you don't trust God for the details. Worry basically tells God, without ever saying this, worry tells God, hey, thanks for all the stuff you've done in the past. I know like that whole speaking stars into existence thing was pretty great. And like the the orbiting of the planets and how you made all the animals and you're making my heartbeat right now. That's cool and all, but I'll take it from here. That's what worry communicates. We don't trust God with the details. Come on, let's be honest. Moment of honesty here. You and I are really bad at being God. Can we just commit today to give God his job back? Let him be God. Why do you and I get so weighed down and worried and lose sleep about stuff we weren't meant to bear? The Bible says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Hey God, I'll let you stay up tonight. I'm going to bed. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. You know, something happens amazingly when, when I'm around my kids. I have three kids, eight, five, and one. And uh, when, my, when I'm not around my kids, they tend to do crazy things that end up in, uh, with bleeding and Band-Aids, and <laughs> they're wobbly and fearful and clumsy. My eight-year-old is terrified of thunderstorms she invents reasons to get out of bed and come get in bed with me when there's like a possibility of maybe it might rain. Like I'll be tucking her into bed and she'll go, hey dad, real quick, can I have a drink of water, number one? Number two, will you check the weather? (laughs) Like she's so stressed about maybe it's gonna lightning tonight. But the walls can be shaking and she runs downstairs from the thunderstorm and she gets in bed next to me and she's out in a minute asleep like a rock. There's something that happens when I'm with my kids and I open my arms or I grab their hand. What I've found is that the nearness of the father gives confidence to the heart of his children. And so, you may have walked in here today, you may be listening to this right now in the family room or here in the sanctuary, you're in the balcony, you're out there in the amphitheater, wherever you're hearing this right now, and you came today as a warrior. You're stressed out. Man, life is falling apart. You, just, you, you never thought you would be in the middle of a divorce, but you find yourself there today. You got a call this week from a doctor that you never thought you would hear. You've got a family member in a hospital bed somewhere that's got a few months left, according to the doctor. You just lost your job. The future doesn't look bright for your family. You don't know how you're gonna put food on the table for your kids this week. You may have walked in here a warrior. I hope you would leave today as a warrior, knowing the God that you serve. And again, I wonder if our worry stems from a lack of worship. So if you would allow me for a moment, can I inject some praise into your pity party for a moment? Is that okay? Because the Bible I read says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus that if we are faithless he remains faithful he cannot deny himself the Bible says he himself has said I will never leave you nor forsake you the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead Romans eight eleven, 11 is, is alive inside of you Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation but be of good courage I have overcome the world what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And then we will sing, oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? Because the sting of sin is death and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to our God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on church, it is time that we live like the victorious warriors that we were created to be because we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has conquered. The war is over. Let me leave you with this thought. We all want peace. But you need to know it's only accessible, the peace of God is only accessible through the grace of God. Paul Begins every letter that he writes with a similar phrase. He says, grace to you and peace. You'll never read peace to you and then some grace. It's always grace to you and peace. We're all after the peace, but so many of us want to circumnavigate the grace to get to the peace. I'm here to tell you today that the peace of God is only accessible through the doorway of the grace of God. The grace of God is the key that unlocks the peace of God. We don't like the grace of God because that immediately makes us have to admit that we're fallen and in need of grace. And so you have to, to many of you today, wherever you're hearing me right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to swallow some pride, to humble yourself, and to understand what you are most in need of today is to receive the grace of God because it is only through his grace that you can access his peace. And he would love to grant you peace that you can't even comprehend today. But it will only happen when you lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and accept salvation through the name of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we believe this right now, we believe it. We're standing on the promises of scripture, We believe that when the what-ifs of life begin to worry us, we replace them with the what-is. We stand on the promise of your word. So, Lord, I pray for Christians across this campus right now that have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would lift their souls, lift their heads, let their eyes be fixed on you. Release that burden. Strengthen them. Lord, I pray now for everybody who does not have a saving relationship with you. I believe right now you are calling people out of sin to their savior, but there's a problem. Their pride is in the way. And Lord, I pray that you would do what your word says it does. It's like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks apart the stone. I pray you would break apart hearts of stone and set us on fire today. Lord, across this campus, I ask that you would grant faith to those who are lacking it. And for the first time ever today, that they would finally experience the peace of God that they've been searching for in a world that is empty of it. We pray that right now, Lord. And while your heads are bowed and eyes closed, wherever you're sitting, this is your opportunity. I don't know why you came to church today, but, but I, have a, I have a hunch that God brought you here for a reason. I don't think it's any accident that you are sitting wherever you are within the hearing of my voice. And I believe God is calling some of you out of your sin and to himself today. He wants to grant you peace in the midst of your valley, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your pain. He wants to give you peace and life and forgiveness. He wants to allow you to start fresh today. And if you would like to receive that gift of salvation, this is your moment. What I'm gonna ask you to do right now if the Lord speak in your heart and you understand your need that you're a sinner and you need to be saved today and you are willing to surrender your life to Him and follow Jesus. What I'm going to ask you to do right now, wherever you are, as you hear my voice right now, would you lift up your hand? And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to step out of your chair or come in, maybe off of the, out of the amphitheater, or join me from the balcony right down here. And I want to just help you make this a public decision to follow Jesus Christ. Would you put your hand up right where you are If the Lord's speaking to you and you realize today what you need is the peace of God, but you're only going to get it through the grace of God. I'll wait just a moment. But I believe God is calling people across this campus here today. I'm gonna to ask you, would you respond right now? Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And I know you didn't plan for this, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I see your hand all the way in the back, praise God. All the way in the, in the hallway back there. Come on, where are you? So here, I see you over here on the side, right here in the middle. Come on, if God's speaking you, I see your hand, you can put your hand down after, after you've raised it. If you're in the amphitheater, start making your way in here. I, I want you to join us as we as I help you make this public. Is there anybody, if you're in the balcony, if you're in the back, I see you right here on the second row, praise God. People of all ages making this decision here today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Is there anybody else? We'll wait just a moment. And then I'm going to ask you to come forward. We want to celebrate with you. Jesus, thank you for the hands that have gone up. Lord, I pray that you would do a supernatural work that today would mark a day where their lives are never the same. Pray this in your name. Give them the boldness to get out of their chair and make this a public life change as they surrender their hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? We have a reason to celebrate today cuz there's people who are deciding to receive the grace of God and we're already joined right here. Come on. If you've raised your hand or if you should have, would you step out right now? If you're in the balcony, you come down. If you're in the back, come come join us. If you're in the amphitheater, come on in. We want to celebrate this decision with you. The greatest day of your life here on earth as you turn your eternity over to Jesus. Come on, church. We got something to celebrate here. Oh, man. Wherever you're at, you come right now. We'll wait. You come as you are. Beaten and bruised and broken. Jesus takes you as you are. Don't wait till you're cleaned up. He'll start to clean up. You come as you are. of your love will always be enough nothing compares to your in- Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make this real quick. I just wanna give you guys a few words to pray out loud. Um, We're gonna just say this as a prayer to the Lord as you guys choose today to to surrender your hearts to Jesus. And and so I'm gonna give you a few words to say. These aren't code words into heaven. This is just you saying some things from your heart to the Lord. And we're gonna invite Jesus to take over your life and believing that today you're a new creation. Nothing will ever be the same. It's a great day. So... I'm going to give you guys some words to say. Would you guys just repeat these out loud after me? Say, dear Jesus, I commit my life to you. I'm all yours. I'm done living for myself. And I want to live for you. Thank you for paying the price in my place. Thank you for dying in my place. And that you're alive today. I have a reason to celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Yeah.